following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. I'm going to give you the intro that I prepared for this sermon before any of this other stuff happened today that made this service kind of weird. <laughs> and uh, you might be interested to hear what, what I was going to say already is this. Here we are two days before Christmas, and, and I wonder if anybody else feels like your life is a little bit scattered, um, a little bit disconnected right now, uh, a little bit like there are so many things you want or need to do today, in the next hour, in the next 48 hours, and you are not 100% sure if you're going to uh, be able to get to them all, or if they're all related to one another or not, or which way is north and which way is up. <laughs> is anybody kind of feeling that way on this last Sunday before Christmas a little bit? I see, I see some hands from the people who are like, you know, having to hold one up with the other. Uh, and what I was going to say to you about that, before any of this stuff happened today, I don't know if you were here on time, you know that we weren't, um, is that I, sh- I sure do feel that way. <laughs> uh, and actually, I, I feel that way about today's service. I felt that way before any of this stuff happened about today's service for a wide range of reasons, some of which are related to Christmas and preparing for Christmas, and some of which are not related to that, some of which are related to ministry things that I've been doing, and some of which are related to not ministry things I've been doing. I just feel like my head is, has been spinning a little bit. And um, you know, there's, a, there's a few different topics we've been trying to keep in the air here during the season of Advent as we prepare for Christmas. And today's scripture texts throw probably more than usual additional stuff into that mix. And so that's, my head's kind of spinning with that. And um, preparing for Christmas Eve services tomorrow night, which uh, I think are going to be wonderful and I'd encourage you to come to. But all those things, I'm just kind of like spinning a little bit. And uh, if you know me, you know I'm not the type of person who's really, uh, I'm either incapable or entirely unwilling to fake it <laughs> when I feel like that. Um, you know, I, and I don't know what it is, whether I'm incapable of faking it or I'm just not willing to fake it, but um, this is one of those weeks, it was already going to be one of those weeks where things might not fit together as neatly as, as you might hope or want, especially two days before Christmas when everything's supposed to be a, a smile and a candy cane. Um, so what we're going to do in the next few minutes here, and we'll see how long this goes, is a few disconnected, possibly, things, and hopefully we'll see some connections with them. But I, I don't want to, like, not do some of these things that we're about to talk about because they're all important. So if they don't fit, it'll just be uh, three small sermons for the price of one or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, we are wrapping up Advent Conspiracy today. And we've been doing this for the past uh, four weeks. This is the fourth week of Advent, traditionally the season that Christians spend in preparation and anticipation of the coming of Christ. And... Uh, we talk about that uh, scripturally in two ways, and we're, we're expecting and anticipating the birth of Jesus, that Christmas of the past, that advent of our distant past. And we're also expecting and anticipating and celebrating the return of Christ, that second advent. And as I've said a couple of times during this series, we stand at this moment of history where we, we're in between those two things. That, that everything, that, the most important thing has already happened, but all of the important things have not yet quite happened. And so we reach into the past and we reach into the future and we, we try to make this present reality 
be something that expresses all of that at once. Um, that's, the, that's the biblical approach to Advent that we've been taking. But, of course, the other thing is this Advent conspiracy idea. And uh, we've, we've had four themes of ad- Advent conspiracy. This is a national movement that um, I don't know how many churches, probably in the hundreds, uh, if not a thousand or more, churches are doing at this time of year um, where, where we focus on these four themes. First week was worship fully. The second week was spend less. In other words, spend less on Christmas. The third week um, was give more. And today's theme is uh, love all. Now, I wasn't here last week, and um, probably most of you were. If you, were you here last week? You show me by your hands if you were here last week. Okay, so more than half of you were here last week when my friend James Harrington was here. He's the director of the Ugandan Water Project, which is the clean water charity that we're supporting during Advent Conspiracy. You see, the idea is we, we, we buy one less present this year for Christmas, and we donate that money instead to a clean water initiative. Um, because, of course, while we're, uh, while we're buying our Best Buy gift cards for our Uncle Bob, there are people in Uganda and other places, but we're thinking of Uganda, who, who don't have clean water, who are drinking water from a latrine and whose families are likely to die as a result. Um, I don't know, you know, it's a sobering reality. I don't want to breeze past it. Um, but that's the reality. So we've asked you not to buy one of those Best Buy gift cards, just one, and maybe, maybe four or five, I don't know, whatever it is for you. And, and the cost of installing a rainwater collection tank, as you've heard a couple of times now, um, on the side of a school or a church or a postal building in Uganda is about $3,500. That includes everything. And um, that water tank is uh, capable of providing clean, drinkable water just from the rainfall that falls during the rainy season for a whole community of people for decades, right? Liz, do you know how many years these tanks are rated for? 35 years. So that's um, $100 a year to provide clean water for a whole community. And we've had this um, this water tank shaped thing here and these uh, little gift cards that don't burn myself they have $25 on one side and a droplet of water on the other and we've just asked you to take these home and remind yourself to make a donation to to Advent Conspiracy and uh, if we had 140 of these done we would we would have enough for one water tank and uh, the cool thing that happened this week is that um, we got our 140th one back. So the water tank, which was all, three weeks ago, was all $25 gift cards, is now all water droplets. And isn't that cool? Yeah, you can clap for that. I mean, come on. I will put this over here. And since today nobody's sitting here, I'll maybe actually bring it forward a little bit. I won't block anybody's view of anything. So we want to be looking at that and reminding ourselves of that now, one thing that you don't know is that while our congregation has done this, there have also been a couple of us in the congregation who have come against some financial difficulties for one reason or another, major car repairs or things like that. And so in addition to your regular giving, which I haven't looked at it recently, but I'm pretty sure if you look in the bulletin, the totals will indicate that we are well on track to meet our December budget with regular giving. On top of that, we have done this. And on top of that, we have also... I know that there's been hundreds of dollars, I don't know the exact amount, that has flown around from 
some parties to other parties in our community in the past two or three weeks just because of life hitting us in a way and, and friends stepping up and helping other friends. And so when I talk about, you know, ad nauseum perhaps, the generosity of Artisan Church, that's what I'm talking about. I'm so pleased and impressed with what, what you have been able to do um, during this season. And uh, I pray that God will bless you for your giving. So going forward, we, we, we're probably going to leave this up for another week or two because actually what has happened here, and I'm going to leave those on the table because I want you to be able to take them if you'd like to remind yourself, but I will stick one of them up here just as a, a reminder of the fact that we're actually about, um, I think it's $400 over the, the cost of one tank. And so we're on our way to the next tank. <laughs> And I don't know where any of you are at, if some of you are still planning to give and haven't yet and that kind of thing, but it's not over yet. Please do be uh, encouraged to give or give more. And I would not be shocked if we hit another, another tank or partial tank. Um, what will happen, by the way, if we don't get an exact multiple of 3,500 is that we'll, continue, we'll donate the full amount to, the, to Ugandan Water Project. And I don't know if James talked about this last week, but there are other things that they can do. They, can, they have these, I think they're $50 filter taps that you can attach to these things to make the water even cleaner and, and last even longer and that kind of thing. But, and, of course, there's, there's overhead and administrative costs, and those things are not as um, maybe as sexy to give to, but they're really important for charitable organizations. And, and so whatever we get that's marked Advent Conspiracy will go, 100% of it will go to Ugandan Water Project, and they will put 100% of it to good use, whether or not it exactly works out to be a whole tank. Right? And in the past, we've gotten kind of halfway to one or halfway to the second one or something, and we've partnered with another organization that got halfway. And So there's a bunch of different things that can happen, but please be encouraged and uh, exhorted, if you will, to, to continue to give to this cause. It's a really, really important thing that we're doing together. So that's Advent Conspiracy. And today's theme, as I mentioned, is Love All. I have some thoughts on Love All, too. But um, the other thing that I want to do is read to you a couple of these lectionary passages for Advent, um, Year C, Week 4. This is another one of those ways that we're um, sort of traditional, uh, at least at this time of year, is that we look at these texts that are assigned by um, an ecumenical council of, of people to just kind of schedule the Bible readings for all year long. And, and if I haven't said this recently, um, if you're looking for a way to read the Bible devotionally and you don't know where to start, you're going to like, oh, I don't... Unless you are just, let's say, like unless you can read... Oh, what's, what's a very dry book you had to read in high school? A separate piece. Let's use that. Some people are like, what? I love that book. That's why I don't do it. I'm not going to say it about the book of Genesis either, except that this, uh, probably starting at the beginning and trying to get to the end is not the best way to to approach the Bible devotionally, especially if you're new to the game. (laughs) So if you're looking for a way to get kind of a broader spectrum of Scripture, just search on Google uh, for lectionary and you'll get it. And it links you through and shows you the passages for every week of the year. It's a great way to to kind of have some structure to your, your devotional study. Anyway. Today's texts, um, the first one is an Old Testament text from the book of Micah. It's chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. And uh, I believe, Ken, if you fire that next slide, I think I have um, the page number uh, in the Bibles, the red Bibles here. 
Micah is kind of one of those ones that you can miss easily. It's short. Um, oh, yeah, you know what? See, I told you I was disconnected. Well, let's do Micah first. Um, so hit the one that says Micah, Ken, if you don't mind, and then we'll go back to that one in a second. It's Micah 5, and it happens to be on uh, page 756 if you're using these red Bibles. This is, a, as you can probably guess during Advent, this is a prophecy about the coming of Jesus, verses 2 through 5. Uh, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand at, and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. We'll come back to that text. There's some really neat phrasing in there that I think is interesting, but... Here's the other thing I wanted to do. Turn with me to Luke 1. Verse 39, which is um, 831 if you're using these red Bibles. By the way, if you don't own a Bible, take one of these home. This is the story that immediately follows Mary being told by the angel Gabriel that she's going to bear the Son of God in her womb. And uh, she goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, who is pregnant further along with John the Baptist, who, as we saw a few weeks ago, is going to foretell, or um, not foretell so much as um, prepare the way in the immediate time for, for Jesus to come. And so Mary is visiting Elizabeth, and... Uh, what happens in the first part of this passage is a really neat story, and it's, it's been given a name in the church, and it's a, it's a subject of sacred art in the church. It's called the visitation, and so I have an example of that here that I want to show you on the screen. It's, um, it's a, an icon, and Ken, can you fire that up for me? Hit the, uh, the... <laughs> That's later. We'll get there. This is the... Um, it's called the Visitation, and it's a, it's a piece of sacred art that, that shows Mary and Elizabeth greeting one another. And what I'd like you to do is don't read along with your eyes. Just hear along with your ears as I read what happens in this story, and look at the, look at the image instead and um, meditate on that a little bit. This is a, a beautiful old mosaic-style kind of icon. I wanted to share with you. I, saw, we have a, I have a friend who's a pastor in the South Wedge here, a Lutheran pastor, and he put this up on his church's Facebook page this week, and I thought, oh, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> Here's the story. Um, in those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. We were doing a little bit of, um, you can leave that right there on the screen for a bit, Ken. We were doing a little bit of um, kind of Advent devotional stuff with my son, Abel, this week. And Tracy read the story. And um, she, she's not here today because my little baby is sick. But uh, I was going to have her share with you what, what her kind of experience was with this text. It was really kind of neat, having been uh, a pregnant woman before, which is something that um, the majority of us in this room haven't experienced. Um, the, the, she said, this, this, I never read this story this way and suddenly had this, this kind of moment of insight about this text. And I know that we do have some women in the room who are pregnant, and I, I'd be curious to hear if you had a similar response to this. But it, it, I have felt from the outside <laughs> what it's like when the baby's leaping for joy. And... Um, it must be one of the coolest things in the world to be a mom and feel that on the inside. <laughs> and such a, such a simple little thing that in some ways is true to all of us, but in that moment must have been so like, physically, viscerally real to Elizabeth. She was, in, in that sense, um, one of the very first people to have, have a response to Jesus. Uh, and this is, it comes right after the announcement that Mary is pregnant. So it's it not very clear about how long transpired between. Um, but I like to think that, that Mary wasn't even showing yet. <laughs> and uh, John in Elizabeth's womb just was like, it's Jesus. <laughs> so cool. So anyway, um, if, you're, if you're interested in this imagery, you can you can do an image search on Google for visitation and you'll find a dozen or more of uh, iterations of this same piece of art, which is really, really, really cool. Um, art, the arts are important to us and so I, I think it's worth taking a few minutes just to look at that that way. But here's what follows. Very famous biblical text. If you turn the page, this is Mary's response. Um, and this response has been set to music countless times. It's called the Magnificat. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly and has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. That text, combined with the Micah text, had some interesting similarities that I noticed this week. 
do you remember how the, the, the Micah text, perhaps when you were reading it, or when I was reading it, you, you noticed that it was this prophecy spoken to what, was, what it said was one of the little clans of Judah, Bethlehem. And here's this prayer, and we focus, rightly so, I think, on the first parts of it, about Mary being blessed and God doing great things for her. But then the second stanza, if you will, just goes on and on and on, it seems, about how God is bringing down the powerful and helping the weak and giving, filling the hungry and sending the rich away empty. The little clans of Judah and, and the hungry people being filled and all these things seem to, to, to mesh together in this really interesting way for me. It seems like that is what God is interested in. That's where God does his work. Jesus came through this little clan of Bethlehem, one of the little clans of Israel, not one of the prestigious places. And literally arrived in the womb of an unwed mother, which I think probably is like that observation has been made hundreds of times. But if you really, really stop and think about the way we regard unwed mothers, especially in the church, um, that's a, just an amazing thing. And for Mary to, to, to pray this prayer, which is so sonic that it actually became a song, um, talking about God bringing down the powerful and filling the hungry and raising up the lowly and all these things, just amazing to me to see how consistent that is with with the other ideas that, that are in the text today. Which brings me back to the Advent conspiracy theme of love all. We could, we could spend every year, every Sunday of the year, talking about love in a biblical way and probably never say the same exact thing twice because there's so much of it in the Bible from the most basic statement that God is love to the most deeply theological statements about how that love is expressed in Christ Jesus. The love that is poured out on us obviously needs to be poured out on others by us. That's, that's kind of basic Christian spirituality and morality and ethics, isn't it? That God loved us and we love other people. That's the way it works. It's like the water coming over one of those water mills. That's the effect it has on us. The Bible talks a lot, of course, about how we should love and whom we should love. It's very obvious to us that we should love our families. Not always easy to do it, but it's obvious that we should, right? That, like... You know, even the pagans do that. <laughs> it's like what the Bible says about that. Jesus also said that we are to love our who? Enemies. In that brilliant sermon where he's turning this Old Testament law on its head over and over again saying, you thought the bar was here, but actually the bar is way up here and guess what? You can't reach it. 
And that's why you need me. That's, catch that. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but he said, you've heard it said that you should love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I say to you, you should love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And so if, if you've been in church very much, and if you're a Christian, certainly you've heard this text, you've heard this um, you've heard Jesus admonish you to love your enemies. And so, so I would say that one, almost like loving our families, is very easy to understand. And in fact, in some abstract way, it might be sort of easy to do. Because those extremes, people we already want to love and the people we kind of want to hate but we know we're supposed to love, those extremes are actually easier for us to engage with than all the space in the middle I think. It, it, quite possibly, it seems to me, it might be a lot harder to love those people who are not in either category, people who are not naturally drawn to, people who, uh, you know, we're not repelled by, but, but like the annoying, the troubled and disturbed, the unwashed masses, the people we just as soon ignore, Okay? We would just kind of prefer to walk past them and pretend they don't exist. We don't hate them. Don't love them. Be just, it'd be nicer if we didn't have to think about them very much. Do you know who these people are? <laughs> they are not our friends and family. They are not our enemies. They are the little clans of Israel. They are the lowly and the hungry. They're the people who can't seem to get their act together. See, our natural inclination is to love our families, and we sort of know we have to obey Jesus and love our enemies. For everybody else, I think what we tend to want to do is just ignore them and align ourselves instead with the powerful, the wealthy, the, the handsome the intelligent. I mean, look around the room. Your people are all handsome, wealthy, and intelligent, relatively speaking. You guys have your act together, most of you, most of us. But but those people that we are just so naturally inclined to align ourselves with, those are not the people that Jesus aligned himself with. It's not the people he came from, Bethlehem, unwed mother, etc. It's not the people he spent time with, thieves and hookers and sinners. And I, I think that's part of what these texts want to say to us today. That not only do we have to love our families and our enemies, but we have to think about the people in between. That's what Advent Conspiracy is about. There are people in between. <laughs> and I would add to that Magnificat, the hungry being filled, that the thirsty are being filled as well. That's part of our task. 
But as I've said a couple of times, it might be a little too easy for some of us. I don't presume to know anything about any of your finances, but it might be a little bit too easy for some of us to slap 25 bucks in the offering basket and market Advent conspiracy and, and call it good. It might be harder for us to be present and real to the in-between people in our own city, in our own community, in our neighborhoods. Because you can't, you can't buy that. <laughs> I mean, in some sense, we're, it's, it's not crude, and I don't mean to impugn your motives, but in some sense, we're buying this, this water tank thing. So it's more than that. It has to be more than that. And uh, I didn't write a conclusion to this sermon, so let's pray. Lord, I want to personally give you thanks for the, uh, the beauty of our community, for the love that is present here, for the fact that we do, I think, ultimately get it, that um, our worship is not judged by our ability to do everything right, to get everything cleaned up. I want to thank you for that, Lord, just as a, as a person in the room. And uh, we want to thank you on behalf of all of our people for the, the witness of Scripture that we've seen today, that we've seen throughout Advent, for its calls in our life which challenge us and um, scare us and reassure us. And we give you thanks for the great privilege it is to serve our neighbors, whether they're in Uganda or whether they're right next door, Lord, help us, stretch us to a place where we can truly love all, not just the ones who are lovable and the ones we're inclined to hate, but the, the vast majority of people in the middle who are difficult to love because we have to go out and find them. Help us to do that. Give us courage and wisdom. Uh, to respond to you in obedience and to let the chips fall where they may after that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, your opportunity now is to respond to hearing the word of God at the communion table. And I invite you to respond that way. If, uh, If you are a person of Christian faith, It doesn't have to be the most robust Christian faith. You don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to be a member of our church or of our denomination. You have to simply be following Jesus and trying to do that in the place that you are in today. Um, On the other hand, we know that we have visitors a lot of times who are not in that place, and that is okay. We love having you here, and we don't want you to feel like you have to do some Christian ritual if you're not a Christian. Please be present with us. Listen to the voice of God. Um, Sit and think and pray. That's totally okay. For the rest of us, I invite you to come and receive the bread and the wine or the juice, remembering his body broken for you, his blood shed for you, all you children of God. Uh, Receive the food for your souls and be in unity with one another and with with Christians all around the world. Mike and Bell are going to sing another song while we're doing that, and then we'll sing one more together. And uh, just uh, invite you to come to the table.
respond to the Lord as you hear him speaking in your life. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.